For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast with your co-hosts Matthew Davis and Matt Kupferly. Welcome to episode nine of the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Kupferly. I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Matthew Davis. Matthew, what's going on, man? I'm just trying to keep up with these box scores today and see which closer lost his role and which starters <laughs> piecing out. So yeah. I'm, I'm punching my ticket and riding with the roller coaster, and I'm stoked to talk with our first ever guest, Toby at BatFlipCrazy on Twitter. What's good, my dude? Nothing much, guys. I really appreciate you uh, you having me on, and to find out that I'm the uh, the first guest is certainly uh, an honor, and so I'll try not to disappoint folks too much. I think disappointment is only possible when I'm on, but uh, I'll, do, I'll do what I can. <laughs> you can't do that with uh, two top ten overalls in the main event right now, so <laughs> you're <laughs> So folks that don't, if you don't know, if you live in a cave, if you don't know who Toby is, or all, all jokes aside, if you're just, if you're not in NFBC, but you play your home leagues or with some buddies, um, a little background on Toby. Uh, we wanted to jump in, do some of these kind of expert strategy pods. And Toby is one that came to top of mind for both Matthew and I, uh, some background on Toby. Uh, he jumped into um main event and online for the first time toby is 2019 is that right that's the I, I yeah yeah last last year was the first time i actually lived in washington state before that so i wasn't legally uh, allowed you illegal player in you. Yeah. yeah okay well so if you don't know toby what i think matthew and i really like is you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, analysts and good players, and you can be both of those. You can be one of those. And Toby does a great job of being both a great analyst and a good player. Last year, he finished ninth overall in the main event. Obviously, he won his league, although I guess, uh, truth be told, you could uh, finish that high and maybe even finish second if you were in a really badass league. Uh, it, it, finished- it actually came down to the last day. There was no, a possibility really. that I could have I could have lost my league yeah. on the last day. Thankfully, there was some some things went my way. That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I have an OC right now um, that is very close, and we are up there in the standings. But uh, somebody else in our league is only two spots behind us. So I definitely feel you there, man. It's pretty crazy. Uh, you still had a good finish in another league. Looks like you finished fifth in another main event league you had, but then some really strong finishes in the OCs as well. Two seconds two-thirds and a top-hundred finish. Uh, I think I saw a 77th overall. Does that sound about right? 
It sounds about right. Yeah, I could do everything but win in the OCs. Um, I actually, I have a little bit of a harder time in the 12 teamers. I feel like okay. with 15s, I, I put a lot of my energy and effort like in working okay. fab in the 15s. And okay. I feel like the 12s are like a uniquely hard yeah. thing to do because it's like with fab, it's like you have good players on your team and you're like, yeah. man, they're so good. Yeah. If I had these on my 15, I'd be so excited. <laughs> but they're maybe like just slightly better than replacement value in yeah. a 12. And so you've got to be you got to sure. be churning and mixing and matching them, you know. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and we'll we'll dive into that too. Um, it's it's interesting because I think we had some reader questions that actually focused on that, so that's a perfect segue, whether you knew it or not. <laughs> um, but also, if you're unaware, in 2020, uh, if you got Greg Ambrose's first email, you saw Toby's name on there. He's currently leading the main event. At one point this league, I think Matthew clued me in. I apologize, Toby, because I do not have any main event teams because I have no balls. Um, you were first and second at one point, or you still are first and second in the overall in the main. Is that right? Yeah, well, like I no. think a few days in, I was first and second, and I held on to that for maybe two or three days or so. Um, but the first little bit has treated me pretty well with um, how my teams have been doing in, in, cool. in the various mains. And you're slacking off in an OC, as you and I were messaging each other earlier. You're only seventh overall in the OC. So clearly— I'm, I'm now up to third overall. Okay, so. well, good, 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 good. You must have had a good night then. So I did, I did. I got I got a Kinsler save. I got a Melanson win. Nice. So kinda, you can luck into those things. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the crux that we wanted to start you off with, Toby— um, and it's, it's an area I know um, you and I, you were gracious with your time. I had questions for you as I had some struggles last year, whether it was my overabundance of love for Trevor Bauer that really led me astray in 2019. Um, but I did not uh, really do a great job on pitching staffs. And one thing that you are known for is an early double tap, if it's not your first two, but it often is, is taking two starting pitchers. So Maybe if you could start off just telling us a little bit about the strategy, um, maybe, you know, you can even go back as far as what what made you start to do it? Have you always done it or is this new from the last couple of years? And just kind of your thought process, I think, behind it would be very unique and interesting for listeners. Yeah, well, the, the irony in your question is that I also had Trevor Bauer in my fifth, uh, the my main event team last year that finished uh, fifth in that oh, league. Right. I started out with Chris Sale and and Trevor Bauer. So I feel like my fifth place finish was, uh, was special, uh, <laughs> given, given that start. And my third pick was Adalberto Mondesi. So, wow. um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I do. I, I really like to start off with two aces. I think one of the things is, is like part of it is just the NFBC. We know that pitching goes really early on, but I think when you look at the guys who finish repeatedly in the top, you know, like 10 overall, like if you just look at each year, oftentimes yep. what you'll find those teams have in common is that they had one of the top two starting pitchers, you know, that year, or they were able to generate a ton of value by drafting a starting pitcher later on in the draft who became maybe not one of the top two, but a truly elite guy. And they were able to kind of um, couple that with another strong starting sure. pitcher. And so like, for like a Shane, maybe a Shane Bieber last year exactly. or something like that is what you're saying, right? Totally. I'm thinking of a Shane Bieber. And so really, so part of it, part of it is that. And then I think part of it is also just thinking that 
for me, the most valuable players in the game um, are the A starting pitchers. Like pitching is more volatile than hitting, yes, but it's 50% of the fantasy game. Um, when you look at the way the game is structured, you know, two out of the five categories in pitching are ratios, uh, whereas only one is in hitting. And ratios are really challenging to like once you've started off poorly or once you have a poor foundation in those, it's really, really hard to kind of make up for it. And so um, for me, based on that and the fact that um, because there's those two ratio categories and because aces are so um, valuable, um, if you get one and even like one and a half it really does anchor those ratios where you're able to make some mistakes and cobble together a pitching sure. staff after that. And so I did that. I, I like that's part of the thinking is just kind of the overall valuation of players. And then I think the second piece is just based on the research that I've seen, what we know, Ariel Cohen did a great uh, piece a couple years ago, and I've seen other things that folks have done since and before that even where we know that aces, um, you know, again, while not as, um, well, not as uh, like consistent on a year to year basis or like uh, less while while more volatile than the best hitters, they are by far the best investment you can make in pitching. Mm. They yeah. return the most investment. And what our research also tells us is that like after you get past maybe that second ace tier, there's not a lot that differentiates yeah. the pitchers after there. I think like yeah. One of the things that I'm super interested in thinking about is our biases. And I think oftentimes we remember the guys that we hit who maybe weren't those aces, but we oftentimes forget the guys who are, who are God awful, yeah. you know, that we have on our teams. And so I'm really trying to ignore that kind of jumble in the middle. Um, sure. what I think Paul Sporer and, and Justin call the blob. Yep. And then I target kind of later pitchers who I see having some sort of skill upside or, or um, um, something in them that I think makes them be able to take that next step. So when you look at that grouping, Toby, as you start about as you thought about your 2020 draft prep, and you can even go back to January, February when you were draft prepping. Mm-hmm. You know, Garrett Cole was probably an overwhelming number one. If he wasn't, uh, Jacob Degrom was right up there. Who did you have anybody that would have maybe been in that next that if it wasn't those top two for you, I'd be surprised. But if it wasn't your three, four or five that really blew you away or maybe even somebody in that top 10 that a lot of people weren't on that you thought, holy cow, when I look at the numbers or whatever metrics you like to lean on or anything else um, that you prioritized as you went through draft season? Not really. You know, I think for me, it was kind of Garrett Cole was for me, pretty much uh, the the number one. Just love the context with the Yankees, obviously having access to those wins. But then also, I think he he at least last year and maybe tail end of the the year before that has been the best pitcher. So I really love the context that he was going into. I thought he was really good. For me, after that, it was kind of Jacob Degrom, Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer. Um, kind of in a in in three after that, at least as we were drafting now, like earlier on before you know, Verlander's injury and kind of the signs that Bueller was making, maybe going to have a little bit of a slow start. I yep. had Bueller up there too, but as we were drafting now, it was kind of, um, you know, it was Cole. And then I know I wanted to try to have exposure to at least, you know, one share of DeGrom and one share of Verlander and one share of, um, Scherzer in my main events. Mm-hmm. It didn't work out like that. I got pretty fortunate. I had Verlander, um, uh, I didn't really have a, a, an opportunity. I had an opportunity to draft him early on. Um, I think in my 
first main, but I ended up going, uh, we ended up going with Scherzer instead at that okay. point. And then later on in drafts, Verlander kind of hopped well ahead of Scherzer. So I ended up with Scherzer, but I got a couple shares of Bieber as yep. well. Um, I kind of waffled on him a little bit throughout the draft season, but what made me feel really good about it was just, you know, I think we put a lot of emphasis on like hitter contact quality metrics. And I think there are some outliers, um, you know, like your maybe your Nick Pavetta's of the world, people who don't really have great pitches who can get destroyed on a regular basis. But I think when you talk about the elite guys, especially guys who don't walk people, um, I'm not so worried about the quality of contact. Like Justin Verlander gave up 27 home runs last year, but he doesn't walk guys. He doesn't give up a ton of hits. And so a lot of times those are solo home runs. So I ended up with a couple shares of, of Shane Bieber. I faded Bueller uh, down the stretch. Um, just because of, you know, he's had slow starts in the past and there was indications he's going to start out slow and we've already seen that happen so far. So I've kind of been fortunate in that sense, except for my TGFBI squad, which, uh, which unfortunately <laughs> has him and Charlie Morton on it. So, um, those were kind of the guys, but no, there wasn't really a ton of variation. Um, there were maybe some guys that I was less into during draft season. Like I love Lucas Giolito, but I just hated his schedule. Like his first five or six games were just really tough matchups. Um, so I didn't really have shares of him. Um, but outside of that, there were kind of like 14, 15 guys that I was comfortable with as having, you know, as my top two starting pitchers. And then beyond that, I, I kind of wanted to avoid, avoid folks generally um, after that point. No, and I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, what's interesting, I'd be curious to um, get your take is did did the 2A strategy um, – did that come from a place of if you make that pick and, and, you know, let's say you took a Verlander this year, right? As you, as you took two aces, did, did you think of it in, in a sense that um, if you miss on one, but you hit on the other, you at least provide yourself some insulation. Was that any part of the theory as you went through it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I love doing it. I mean, a good example for me is the team that finished ninth overall in the main event. And again, like I'm picking examples, right, that worked out. And so it's a sample size of one. But last year when my ninth overall finish, I started with Cole. I actually set the minimum last year for Cole, not because I wanted to, uh, but because the other guys went uh, earlier than they normally do. So I got Cole at nine. I really liked Cole, but that was pretty early for him. And then I actually got Blake Snell as my SP2 in that particular instance. And he did, um, you know, he obviously was a disappointment, but I think the difference is that those aces, even their floor, they're at least going to give you K's and normally they're going to give you more than that. So the floor is just so much higher. Um, and Ben, Ben was actually my third pick in that particular team. Okay. And so thankfully I got Anthony Rendon and Yuan Moncada, and then I picked up Lucas Giolito on waivers. So I was able to compensate with some of those additions Um, But it's definitely an insurance policy because what I really want out of those two aces is I want one of them to be really good. I want one of them to end up being one of the top three starting pitchers. And if I do that, it doesn't really matter that much how well the second guy does because I feel confident in my ability to build a pitching staff that can at least compete um, in pitching um, from that point on. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And I think one thing Matthew's given me a lot of advice with all of his success is, you know, what I did last year, which probably was clearly a mistake, right, was I was really high on Trevor Bauer. I locked in a closer fairly early, which, of course, just happened to be 
Um, not super great in Blake Trinan, although he looks like he's throwing some crazy pitches again this year. So maybe he was banged up or whatever it was. Right. But I didn't follow that back up with that second starter, Toby. And so I think that was my problem. So I think that's the piece that I missed was, okay, well, you know, if I would have maybe followed that up with another pitcher, I would have been in a good spot, but I didn't. And that really hurt me. So I think that's kind of where you're coming from. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. And and I think part of the strategy, right, is especially in 15 team leagues, I think it's a little bit different in OCs. I still use the same strategy generally in OCs, if not being a little bit more pitchy, he- pitching heavy. I'm actually in a, a high stakes um, league for 12 teamers uh, this year. And my starting pitchers, I started out Verlander and then I got Strasburg and then I went Granky. That's how I started out. But um, I'm still in fourth, so I got a shot. But there's some really good players like Jeff Zimmerman's in that league, and he's really good. He's leading that one right now. Um, so we'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough slog getting back in there. Um, but yeah, I really I really prioritize that. But you can't have everything in 15s. And so right. for me, I really focus on starting pitching, like those elite aces, and then I go with depth and hitting. And I'm fine punting, not punting closers, like you need closers. But I'm fine getting that second tier of guys who have decent skills, you know, have a have a have the have the job solidly. So like an example is I have Melanson in, you know, a lot of my leagues. I have Brandon Kinsler in a lot of my leagues. I have uh, uh, Alex Colomay in a bunch of my leagues this year because they're guys who I thought had good enough skills, had solid enough um, uh, like um, they, they had the job and they could mess up a couple times and I think still have it. Um, but they, they could get me saves. And I felt because I had created that base with my starting pitching, I felt yep. okay. I, okay. Like kind of, um, taking some chances on what those ratios might look like, especially in, in the small innings pitch sample that relievers give you. So I was going to ask you that because, um, that's probably been, so I kind of gave you some insight of what went wrong for me. And, and again, it's probably more 12 team based, but I was really dead set from a pitching perspective last year of, I wanted an ACE. Clearly I made a, you know, a poor choice in Trevor Bauer. Um, but I wanted an ACE. I wanted a top flight closer. And I really liked training last year, trying in last year, because, you know, I really thought he was a guy that, as you mentioned earlier, there's five pitching categories, but I thought a guy like trying could give me saves and then really strong, you know, maybe 80 to hundred K's as a reliever. And then obviously some killer ratio. So how do you, you talked about it in 15s. Um, it sounds like you're, is it fair to say you're probably waiting to pick 130 to 150 ish in a main? Is that close to right? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm always, like, paying attention to which 
closers are still on the board sure. who yeah. have, have that job. I'm a little bit agnostic on it. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but you know, the more, the more I've, uh, the more drafting I've done and the more I've done it, I'm a little bit agnostic early on in drafts about players. Like, yeah. I feel like generally speaking, what I normally do is I'll go through and I'll say, I don't want that guy. I don't want that guy. And I'll kind of cross off guys that I'm just not going to draft. Like, I'm just not interested in drafting them for one reason or another. Yep. It could be that they're power only profiles early on. It could be that I just don't believe in what they did. And then I've got a, a kind of a, a group of players that I'm pretty comfortable with taking. And I'm not, I try to be um, flexible in terms of like taking different guys and the way sure. that I piece things together a lot more so than I think I, I used to be. Um, and I rely heavily on projections as well, just to kind of give me a sense of what the median projection for each guy mm -hmm. is. And then I can, I can base on that, like feel whether I'm like a little bit higher or a little bit lower sure. on them than maybe sure. uh, the market and the projections are. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And if I've heard you correctly, Toby, on other podcasts, you don't do your own projections. Is that right? No, I don't. Yeah. Like this year I used, uh, I use the ATC projections pretty exclusively this year. In the past, I've I've done like my own meta projection of like the mm -hmm. ATC, the bat, and steamer. Just kind of put them in and, and created the average projection there. Yeah. yeah. But the ATC is already kind of a meta projection and exactly. it's treated me well in the past. So I feel pretty good about using it. Yeah. No. And for those that don't know, Ariel Cohen is a great guy in the industry, um, but he doesn't basically, as as Toby's suggesting, he does an average of averages, which is nice because it kind of smooths out some of the lines. And I think it's always important um, to kind of go back over those, though. And if there's somebody that you really like, um, as you'll always see in draft season, especially uh, as, as I've talked with Matthew, you know, a main is a different animal. But if there's a guy you really like, you're probably going to have to go above, you know, if you're if you're exclusively looking at a projection ranking system or, um, you know, ADP from an NFBC site, you've got to adjust that, I think a little bit. And so I, I, I'm with you, Toby, that's exactly what I do on a lot of stuff, but I always, I try to make a little bit of tweaks or maybe I push people, a couple people's spots up if I really like them. And I kind of, you know, massage that a little bit. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the, another one that I think you've gained some notoriety for is your love. And maybe it's a really good day for us to talk about it, but your absolute <laughs> it's love. It's always a good day. It's always <laughs> a good day, Matt. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a very fair preface, but it was maybe, it's been a, a really nice couple of days to be a JT Real Muto homer or owner who went two for four today, two runs scored, three RBIs and a home run, uh, you know, not a bad day that follows up. He homered yesterday uh, as well. Um, obviously, the Phillies were off to a start where they had to miss some games. But talk to me. Week. Was that? Oh, yeah. A full a week. week of no JT Real Muto in my well, life. Well, and that's hard, right? Um, and as a as a St. Louisan, I am living through that right now as somebody that was really high on Paul DeYoung um, and Tommy Edmond. And I've been mixing and matching to get through this craziness over the last week. But Tell me, Toby, about um, – I guess my own theory would be, you know, I've done some stuff where I've valued catchers and I almost put catchers into their own tier because of the value that they provide, especially a guy like Real Muto where um, in an 162-game season, you know, his 80 runs, ABR, RBIs is so far and above everybody else's. But walk me through the why behind your JT Real Muto love and is there is, – is it anything different or is there something unique that maybe – people wouldn't be aware of with him. I don't necessarily think it's anything unique. You know, essentially what I do is so I, I get the projections and I plug them into a spreadsheet that was uh, 
an SGP uh, standard gain point um, spreadsheet that creates dollar values for each one of the players. And, that, yep. and a big shout out to uh, to Tanner Bell um, uh, at Smart Fantasy BB on Twitter. Uh, he's a great guy, first and foremost. He's he's awesome. He writes the process with Jeff Zimmerman, which I'd also highly recommend that people people read and has been super helpful for me in thinking about strategy and, and, and approach to, to the game in general. But I, I take this spreadsheet that he's created, this SGP spreadsheet. I input the projections and they generate um, uh, dollar values for each of the players. And when I do this, JT Real Muto always comes out super high, right? Like I had him, I think, yep. as my either 19th or 20th most valuable player overall um, based on, on that spreadsheet in a 15-teamer. In a and actually in a 12-teamer, he's actually even more valuable in a 12-teamer. I had him as the 14th most valuable player. And I think what a lot of fantasy owners do, and, and as, as I understand it, and I'm not super on it with this stuff. So I'm probably doing a poor job of explaining it, but essentially <laughs> they see that value and they, and they essentially like create a market correction because the market, while they're that valuable, nobody ever pays that much for them. Um, and so, and so they, they kind of take away a little bit of that, that bump that they get from catchers. Yep. Cause if you look at the spreadsheets, often the catchers are all values, you know, when you look at them in that yep. way. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so, but, but when I look at it, you know, the thing that's special about JT Real Muto is catchers are generally bad at batting average. JT Real Muto is a plus batting average guy, right? He's not a 300 hitter, but he's a 270 guy consistently. Uh, catchers are normally bad at speed. JT Real Muto is pretty fast. Like we saw that today in the Yankees, he beat out an infield single and ended up getting an additional run because he was able to beat out an infield single that yeah. pretty much no other catcher outside of maybe Jorge Alfaro of the Marlins would have beat out. You know, and so he's fast. So he's going to get me stolen bases. He's going to get me batting average. And in addition to that, most catchers play two out of three games, one out of every two games. They lose plate appearances. JT, especially in this year with the with the NALDH, I feel pretty confident, maybe outside of double headers, that he's going to be playing DH, especially on a Phillies team that, yeah. that kind of lacks a good DH. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to make up for that in plate appearances. And so the difference between what JT Real Muto is going to provide you in these categories and then the difference between maybe uh, getting like a, a third round outfielder and like a fifth round outfielder or something like that, like JT Real Muto is going to be able to provide you with a much bigger um, improvement on what your league mates are getting. And especially in an overall competition, I feel really good about having that advantage because it's not just, you know, the advantage that I have of JT Real Muto over the guy who drafts Wilson Contreras or the guy that drafts you know, Gary Sanchez or the guy that drafts Yasmani Grandal. It's also the advantage that I have against that guy who's streaming two catchers who are yep. ranked really low, yep. right? And maybe generating over the course of a season 40 runs, 40 RBIs, and, you know, 10 to 15 home runs with a 240 batting average. You know, with the volume of plate appearances that I'm beating them with and with the, you know, the just stats that they're producing, I think he's highly valuable. So the earliest I drafted Real Muto was at pick three, 33 in my thir in my main event three. Um, and I would have picked him earlier if I felt like I needed to. Um, now, because I, I really like in mains and then also in my in my uh, OCs, and I have him in both of my OCs and my other 12-teamer. You know, I, I, I would have drafted him if I felt like I had to at pick 20, you know, pick 15 sure. if I needed to. Because I really do think that he provides that much more value Um than other players at that position. And it's just JT Real Muto. I like well, having good catchers, but yeah. he's the only guy that I'm willing to play that type of price for.
Well, and if you talk about, because I think that's a strategy that a lot of people espouse, if you look at somebody that maybe gets 40 runs or 40 RBIs, and the guy that I always think about and laugh a little bit when I was thinking about your strategy is a guy like Wilson Ramos. We value Wilson Ramos as a top 10 catcher. In fact, I saw him being taken in a couple of my leagues this year. He went as the fifth catcher overall. And I think about Wilson Ramos. uh, I mean, he's like clockwork that he drives in like 50 to 53 runs a year. Well, it's not exactly the same as your example of 40 to 45 runs, but if you drop that down and something happens in a full 162-game season, you effectively got two Wilson Ramoses in one player, in JT Real Muto, right? So then you get that second catcher that's going to be anything on top of that. It's just going to be icing on top of the cake. So I totally get where you're coming from, but when you then think about your second catcher, do you put that one super late um, or are there certain characteristics in a catcher that you're looking for to add as your catcher to in that format? What are you, what are you doing in that situation? Yeah, I think it really depends on the draft. And one thing I want to say like uh, straight off, because I do, I have pretty strong feelings about, you know, how, how to draft different players, but I would, I just want to make sure people recognize, like, I also like people, there's so many different ways to win in fantasy, right? And this is the way that I feel most comfortable drafting and valuing players and building rosters and, and, and I, and I, and I focus on that kind of roster construction piece of it. Yep. And so, um, and so I'll just say like, there's many ways, there's so many good players who wait until the very end to draft those two catchers. Yeah. Matthew's one, one of those. Matthew does it. I mean, he was, yeah. especially in this format, he is, and he's obviously been very successful too, where he's taken two oh. catchers extremely late. So it, it, you're absolutely right. There's lots of ways to skin the cat. Totally. Yeah. And that, and that's for, that goes for, you know, all of the strategy pieces that I'm talking about. Um, and so, and so with other catchers, I generally like to get a still solid catcher too. Cause I think if I wait till the end, like I'm oftentimes, um, I'm giving up a little bit of the advantage that I've tried to create. So right. in some leagues, you know, I have, um, some leagues I have Real Muto and Yasmani Grandal because he was falling into like the one thirties. And I felt like that was a little bit of a value, um, for him in other ones, I, I have a couple where like in my TGFBI, I have Real Muto and Sanchez that happened, before, you know, the most recent draft, I actually had Wilson Contreras a little bit higher than Sanchez sure. heading into the second, um, uh, the second round of drafting. So I have Wilson Contreras where I don't have Real Muto in, in my main events, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I liked, I liked that pairing actually a lot, the, the Contreras and, yeah. and, um, and Real Muto, cause I think Contreras is going to get some spots and we've seen him get spots at DH. So the plate appearances were going to be a little bit higher maybe than the projections, mm-hmm than the projections thought. But then after that, it's oftentimes a guy like uh, Yadier Molina. Unfortunately this year, I have him in a couple mains as my backup catcher. Yeah. Um, so there's an example. I got some Victor Caratini as well. Just seeing Ooh. the way that that, that situation was playing out with the Cubs. I actually drafted Danny Jansen and Victor Caratini. I drafted three catchers, which was a little oh, abnormal, but I love that. Seeing, yeah. seeing the news, I was like, I want to see if Caratini plays more regularly because I think he's a better hitter than the vast majority of catchers. He just hasn't had playing time. And I got him on, on a team with Rizzo. So if Rizzo was injured, I could at least take advantage of having, having him playing every day in my catcher slot. So, um, those are the types of guys that I like to go after. Um, but in some instances, like, you know, I won't have a very good catcher, you know, like I'll end up with like a San Francisco Cervelli or somebody like that, who maybe I believe is a little bit better than his draft price indicates, but, um, isn't by any means a good catcher at all. Nope. I I think that makes sense. And that's a good transition, I think, to um, a position that I was um, very bullish on. And when I say it's bullish, 
I found a lot of value, Toby, in late round outfielders uh, on our show that we did on yesterday. Matthew and I talked a lot about um, some guys like, you know, Mike Yastrzemski, Kyle Lewis were some of my targets that I liked um, later after pick 200. Uh, you've got a guy like Alex Dickerson that came off the waiver wire uh, for the Giants. You've got Shogo Akiyama, who's hitting leadoff for the Cincinnati Reds. You've got Andrew McCutcheon, Jesse Winker, who struggled a little bit. I mean, all these guys, right? And so my question to you would be, um, do you have a position as you, you know, you've laid out your strategy on starting pitcher and what you want to do at catcher. Did you find a pocket this year at any position that um, you felt particularly comfortable with, um, like I did with outfielder? Was there anything like that that stuck out to you? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think there was different ways to approach it. Like actually entering my first drafts, I was very much of the mind that I wanted to focus early on on infielders um, and then attack outfield late later on, as you mentioned, just because I think there was a ton of really good outfielders, you know, up into pick like 250 to 300 even. Like there were some guys who just kept on falling, especially with closers moving up and then with closers moving up and then pitching moving up in the main events. Uh, in particular, um, I felt like there was a lot of value at outfielder. But then as the drafts kind of progressed, I realized that, you know, and and part of it was like some of the infielders were the guys who had speed. So I was a big Tim Anderson fan. I have him on a couple squads as well, unfortunately, um, you know, with his injury. Um, but, you know, but as the kind of draft progressed and I started looking at the values, I actually thought there were some really good outfield values early on. So like Eddie Rosario kept on falling. Yeah. I got him at pick 118 in one of my yeah. drafts. Yeah. Um, I got I got a Marcelo Zuna after pick 105, I think, in one of my drafts. And so I kind of adjusted the approach. And actually, in, in the, my best main event, the team that's doing um, uh, really well, that's third overall right now in the main, it, it it's very outfield heavy. Like I had pretty much four outfielders filled in in my first four offensive picks, maybe outside of JT Real Muto. Mm. I, I think I went Starling Marte and then I got him and then I got Eloy and then I got Ozuna and Rosario, I think something sure. like that. Um, and so, and so I kind of adjusted a little bit because when you think of like, I think as you, as you get more familiar with the player pool and you see that the way that the different swings that happen in the actual drafts take place, different pockets of value arise. So like in that particular draft, I was like, okay, well, I know I can get Dansby Swanson later on in drafts. And I feel good about having him uh, in my squad. Um, I also knew that I really like Brian Anderson. Obviously he's been injured, but I have him on a couple teams, you know, because I really liked the value that he provided at third base. He was going to play every day, middle of the lineup. I think their lineup was a little bit undervalued. And I thought he was a guy who was just kind of getting better each year as it went. First base, I loved Yuli Gurriel. Yeah, there was a point in time when he was going at pick 90, but later on in main drafts, he was going like 165, 170. I loved Carlos Santana. So the more I started to think about it, I was like, you want to know something like outside of really second base, you know, and even there, like there's some guys going late, like Cesar Hernandez, who I have, like who I have on a few teams now, Um, like where I was just kind of, you want to know something? I actually really like the values of these infielders that are going late. And so I felt a little bit more comfortable pushing those outfielders up. So I feel like there's different pockets, but for me, it's more specifically like maybe, maybe, um, two or three hitters in a particular position that I really like that I feel confident about waiting. And then maybe once one of them goes being able to get at least one of those three that I feel pretty good about it. Um, and also thinking about like, 
category scarcity and like the categories that I was going to need based on the team that I was building out. I had to feel really comfortable about being able to have guys going later at those positions who would help me out. And with Dansby, it's like he's a power speed guy. You know, maybe you doubt the power a little bit, but I think before the injury last year, he was really showing something and he showed something so far this year. So obviously, like there's a lot of luck that plays into it, early season luck and how I'm thinking about it. But um, yeah, I just I I think I think I used to be um, really rigid in the way that I draft and I had particular guys that I wanted in particular spots. And I'd say that I'm less rigid now and I try to be a little bit more flexible and adaptive to the draft while sure. also recognizing kind of the profile of the player that I like and where there might be pockets of value by position. No, I think that makes total sense for me. You know, uh, like you mentioned, there was a, an online championship that I had that I, I did want to wait on outfielders. Um, but Eddie Rosario for me fell super late in a draft that I was also really excited about. So at some point, regardless of, you know, where I thought there was maybe like you mentioned, second base or some other positions that were maybe a bit thinner that I wanted to be cognizant of, um, you, you've just got to take that value, right? I think, you know, um, if, if you know, Greg Blankenship, who's a really strong NFBC player, you know, he's really hammered into my brain of as you do roster construction, it really is about, accumulating a set of numbers to get there. And there's a variety of ways you can get to those sets of numbers. You just have to always keep in the back of your mind how you're getting there, right? Which I think is your point. If you think that there's a ton of value at certain positions, then you load up on those, but you can't, you can't get too tied. And I've made that same mistake that you can't get too tied on one player or another or else you're going to burn yourself. So um, really good call out there. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, we've got, I don't want to give away one of the reader questions, which I think is really interesting, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about which is our last topic before we get to some questions about, um, free agent bidding and your strategy in the 60 game sprint. In some of our um, earlier shows, Toby, you know, I've talked with Matthew a bunch about how I felt like, um, as I was learning, uh, with the NFBC, uh, I wanted to be really patient. I, I, I'm, I read an article. I, I can still remember it to this day saying, you got to make sure you have this much fab still by May 15th. And I thought, yeah, that's the right way to go. And I can remember missing on Juan Soto getting called up, who I think was bid on and won for $4 in an NFBC league. And I'm thinking, you know, I like him, but I need to save this money. And I kind of, you know, burned some cash early. So I ended up not putting in a bid and that's a horrible story. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what you learn from it is, um, you know, I, I, I was probably too careful and I did some to an extent last year as well. But my personal opinion has been, I've been aggressive when I've seen either some things or places where I've had some, some, some light spots or where I needed to shore up. Talk to us or walk us through kind of if you've had a strategy for this year's 60-game sprint and if that's been different that maybe you would have um, implemented in the past. Yeah, well, I think generally, like, it's, it's a similar approach to, I think, what you're saying. I don't like to make the high-dollar bids on guys. I'm generally pretty conservative. I will be aggressive if I see something in a particular player where I see a lot of value um, on the wire. Like, I'll definitely put in higher bids. 
But what I generally like to do is I find that the most successful bids are those kind of 30 to $50 ones in a normal season Mm -hmm. where you're kind of like, you like the guy a lot. You're not breaking the bank. Maybe you see something, you know, um, uh, in particular that you like a lot about them and, and four out of five times you miss on those bids. Right. But by the, but the one time you hit on that guy, instead of, you know, spending 250 bucks on a guy in like Fabapalooza last year or something like that. And I can't, I can't criticize anybody. Cause I bet I put, you know, and I'm, this is partial from learning. I put like a $240 bid on Cole Tucker, yeah. um, you know, last year, which really hampered me. And, and, and what was frustrating about that is I normally have a process I go through with fab, which I know is a question later on. And I, and I skirted that process because I, I was, I had a conference in Atlanta I was going to, so I was on a plane and I literally remember updating the bids in a cab ride to my hotel <laughs> right before. And it's like, if you're doing that, then you're, you're doing it wrong and it's not going to work out well for you. And so, but the thing is, if you miss on that big Palooza bid, there's not a lot of other opportunities throughout the year to make that. And so, yes, some people got you know, your Juan Soto or somebody like that. And I absolutely dominated and kudos to those folks. But most of the time, they don't end up being Juan Soto, right? Like he's a pretty unique guy, right? Like, I mean, Jordan Alvarez is a really good example. I think of a guy who came up and everybody knew when he came up, he was going to be really, really good, or they felt that way at least. And so those types of bids made sense, I think within that context. But generally I love those, those, yeah, those like, you know, 20 to $50 bids where you can make a bunch of them and, and in a longer season, they oftentimes maybe get you a player who's not going for a ton sure. um, and they can work out like last year, those guys were like Hunter Dozier and, and Lucas Giolito for me um, that I was able to get. So I like those types of bids. I normally don't go really high on closers. I, you know, that's generally my like my approach to closers is, you know, closers, you get them for the saves. And yes, yeah. a lot of them have elite skills and they provide elite ratios, but there's also relievers who aren't getting you saves that have elite ratios and elite skills. And so the combination of those two things are great, but their value is solely dependent on that role. And I just don't want to pay for that. So even this year, like a lot of my bids are very speculative. And what I like to do is go after guys before they get named. So like, uh, you know, an example is like, um, Jonathan Hernandez, like I picked him up a bunch of places or drafted him in the 30th round because I felt like Leclerc was a little shaky based on some comments the manager made. And also I just knew that Leclerc is prone to walking a bunch of guys. And if you looked shoddy, Hernandez was clearly the guy in the bullpen with Montero injured and, um, a couple guys with COVID. And so I I put in bids on a guy like that. Um, or like, you know, last year it was Hansel Robles. I put in $8 bids on him in pretty much all my leagues and, and ended up getting him because the way that I think about it is like, you know, for a guy like, so like, let's say, uh, it's a robe, it's like Robles and Buttry or something like that would be an example. Or like, what's a recent one? Oh, uh, Rowan Wick and, and, and yeah. um, Jeremy Jeffers. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry. I talk so much, uh, no. Matt, I, you, you should know when you have me on the mind. Yes. Continue, yeah. uh, continue yeah. going and going, but like, so, so the Cubs example, like I got Rowan Wick a bunch of places or not a bunch of places, maybe like two or three places for like, you know, maybe a $50 or like $75 or something like that. And there was a lot of bids for Jeffress that were in the 200 range. Yeah. And for me, the question is, do I know with certainty that Jeffress is going to get the job? No. Uh, do I think that Jeffress is three times as likely as Wick to get the job? Do I think that Jeffress is three times as good as Wick is to get the job? And if the answer to that is no, then I'll oftentimes go with the lower priced guy. Yeah. If it's not him that week, then he's gone, right? Yep. But I haven't Turn spent a good chunk of fab yep. because 
when you spend 200 bucks on that guy and then the next week you're dropping him, it's painful. And so what, what I'm, what I'm probably going to do is like, you know, I'm waiting, you know, and, and what I'll do is as people lose interest with football, as people maybe fall in the standings, as guys who are really good on saves already don't chase saves anymore. And as we see movement at the deadline, as we see kind of like a lot of jumble towards the end of the season, that's when I'll probably just hope to attack saves. Because yeah. my, my team that's third overall in the main, it has like three saves right now. I'm just like really struggling on saves. Um, and, and so that's what I'm going to need to do is like find a guy at some point in time. But I have Hernandez on my bench. I have Felix Pena on that team. Doesn't look like he's going to be the closer, but who knows? And so just kind of speculating with some of those guys. And eventually I'm hoping that I hit with one of them. And if I can hit with a couple of them throughout the season, I feel pretty good about getting at least 20 sure. to 25 saves. No, I, I think that makes sense. You know, the hard part for me is I feel like I'm always chasing saves and it's a terrible feeling to be in. Um, you know, you, you also see from some owners that maybe get into a bit of a panic because they maybe have a really strong team. They may have a really strong offense, but they don't have a ton of pitching. And so what you will, what you can see also, right, is kind of a panic bid. Like you mentioned, maybe they'll throw 200 bucks at a, a Jeremy Jeffress. Maybe they'll throw 200 bucks at Rowan Wick and they'll be right. Uh, maybe they spent 250 bucks on... Uh, you know, Christian Javier or Tyler Chatwood. And I think that those guys are going to be good, but they're definitely going to have their bumpy spots. And I think Chatwood, that's the hardest Chatwood part. Chatwood for share, apparently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that leads us into kind of our first uh, user or listener question, which Yancey Eaton, the illustrious Yancey, thanks for the question, buddy. Uh, he had a really interesting one, Toby, that I wanted to get your thoughts on, which was, as you think about when you're in a ton of leagues, right? You're busy, you've got a lot going on. Hopefully it's not out of a cab, which I have done the same thing. I kind of felt like a degenerate when I was doing it, but it was pretty funny at the same time. How do you prioritize when you go through your fab process? Do you do it by dollar amount? Do you, um, I would assume that you probably make it league specific, but when you see that and you see a guy that you really want, do you place a $200 bid on, on Chatwood across the board or how do you think through that process? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and shout out to Yancey. Yancey's, uh, Yancey's awesome. Uh, love Yancey. So, um, thanks for the, for the question. Yeah. Generally with fab, what I do is, um, you know, I'd like organize my league uh, by like, I have my mains up at the top and then I have like my higher stakes 12 team league, you know, and then I have TGFBI. So I have kind of my 15 team leagues together. Um, and then, um, or higher value, higher, value value, dollar value leagues. And then I have my OCs and then I have my DCs and obviously you don't have to work about your worry about your fab with DCs. But so I start out with the 15s so that I'm really familiar with it and I kind of get, um, I get, the grasp um, of the player pool. Yeah, totally. And I'm like in the 15 team mentality. And yeah. so I'm there. And generally what I'll do throughout the week is I'll take a look at the waiver wire as guys kind of pop up in games or things like yeah. that. I'll go to the waiver wire. Or I'll add them and just put in like one bid, you know, the guy that I know that I'm going to drop next week or something like that. And so then I just have like, I don't know, maybe 20 to 25 players who I'm maybe interested in. And then as I, as the season, as the week kind of goes along, you know, I'll kind of add those guys in there. And then on Saturday night is when I really sit down, you know, I take a look at all the two start starters. I take a look at who's got favorable schedules for hitters, both this week and next week, both for two week starters and for, um, you know, for, uh, for hitters. Although this year it's a little difficult, you know, just with so many guys being out of the lineup, I'm finding it harder to plan a couple weeks out, you know, in the shortened season. So that's one difference that I've definitely sure. noticed. So I put those guys together and that's when I really delve in. And so what I do is every single week I'll look through my guys 
and I'll, and I'll, and I'll write it down either on paper or in a spreadsheet and I'll say, okay, here is this team. And I'll go through and I'll say like, I want this guy to start, this guy to start, this guy to start, this guy to start. Don't want this guy in there. He's only got two games or he's not that good. It's a tough matchup, tough pitching matchups. And then I'll go through that for every single team, both sides of the week for NFBC, you know, or other leagues that do that. And then the week for pitching. And then based on that, I'll put together my bids you know, on the different guys that I need. And so it's specific to, um, you know, what my roster needs are for that given week or the following week. Um, yeah. it's also specific to what my needs are, especially as you get deeper into the season based on like skills, Sure. you know, so yeah. if I know that I need like stolen bases, then maybe yeah. I'm going to prioritize a guy who does that at the positions of need that I have. Right. Cause I don't want to take out really good hitters if at all possible, just to chase, you know, something, especially yeah. speed where it's going to hurt me in other places. So yeah. I'll just do that. And then I generally, you know, and then what I'll oftentimes do actually, and I think this is a weakness and something that I really need to improve, but it's, it's tough about, you know, one, 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 um, thing that I would say for NFBC is that, you know, NFBC, the way it's structured is you can't do value bidding in the sense that like, it might be that I like a guy for $5 more than I like a guy you know, like I might like a guy who costs 40 more than the guy who costs five. Yeah. But, um, but I don't like him at 40, which I think I need to get him. Yeah. Then I do the guy who is at five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It automatically so, prioritizes it based on the highest bid. So. Yeah, totally. And so, so oftentimes what I'll do is I'll put together a list and what I'll do oftentimes just to make sure that I'm getting my areas of need is I'll do one list that's entirely pitchers to begin with, just to make sure I get that pitcher that I need to fill in for my rotation spot. And right. then I'll do one for hitters to make sure I get hitters that fill in that rotation spot. Because what I don't want to do is make it so that like they're interwoven and I end up getting two hitters. And so I have like a, a, a pitcher spot that I don't want to use at all. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. so that's one thing that I kind of struggle with a little bit. And so I'll oftentimes do like a list that's all pitchers and then my hitters, just in case I go through that list yeah. and then one that's pitchers and then all hitters. Yeah. And then after I've made sure that I'm going to fill the positions that I have that I need, you know, if, obviously if it's a guy that I really want, then they're at the top of the list, regardless of what the position is. But then like, and then the next list will be kind of like interspersed based on like whatever it is. But I find that like to be a little bit of a challenge. So oftentimes I'll end up getting guys who I don't necessarily need to use. Um, But I think, um, yeah, so that's kind of like how I approach it. And then I do most of that Saturday night from like 10 to like two or three in the morning, unfortunately, because I have like 10 fab leagues. And, um, (laughs) and, and then I'll, um, so I'll go through that with 15s. I'll do the same process for 12s. And then on Sunday, I'll just pay really close attention to the news, like the two-star pitchers, yeah. any injuries, any like lineup changes that are happening. And then I'll make yep. tweaks. But generally, before this season, like most is done on Saturday. But what I've found so far this season is just Sunday is such a, a crapshoot. And yep. that, that's going to be tough this week because I'm actually going on vacation. I'm going um, going up to uh, uh, up to the north coast of California, nice. and I'm not going to have a ton of access um, so if you're playing but, against Toby, take advantage of him this week when you're bidding against him. As, well, as, I mean, for sure, it may it may end up bad, but you know, family's <laughs> family, and I want to spend oh, my vacation with sure. my family and enjoy it. So hopefully, this league this this week doesn't hurt me too much. But like I mentioned before, my approach in this 60 game sprint I think is different than a lot of people because I'm actually, generally speaking, saving a lot of my fab. Yeah. It's not the case in every league. In TGFBI, I had to spend, and in some of my OCs, I had to spend just because you know, um, because the team just, just wasn't cutting yeah. it, 
But um, generally, I'm trying to hold on until later on in the season. I think it's going to be crazy later on in the season. I think what you're going to have is you're going to have teams that are maybe out of it, who guys who regularly start either don't feel as comfortable. You know, maybe they opt out later on. Who knows? But a lot of phantom injury type stuff, a lot of changing roster, a lot of changing pitching matchups a lot of stuff like that. And I think it's going to be really important to have a lot of fab and hopefully to be able to dominate during that time so that you can really get the guys that you need and you don't get left with huge zeros towards the end of the year. When you're a little bit more familiar with how guys are performing, you're a little bit more familiar with where you are in the standings. And so I'm hoping that'll be helpful because obviously I miss out on some of these guys who maybe are going to end up hitting it big early on and help some guys for the full season. But I'm hopeful that even with some of my smaller bids or maybe thinking creatively or maybe seeing something that people don't, that I can hopefully get at least like one or a half of those guys throughout the course of the season. Sure. No, I think that's good. Um, it's definitely a different approach because I think most people are, as you saw last week, was crazy with fab. Um, and I, there's no doubt that the craziness is only going to continue. So I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. Our second question comes from uh, Twitter user Dap Scout, and he says or asks, which surprising slow start, one hitter, one pitcher, are you the most shocked by? Gosh. Do you, do you have some thought of, Matt? Um, I would say from a, um, a hitter perspective, because I got a, kind of a version of this question. My version of it was kind of um, name a guy that you wish you had – more of which, you know, what's a guy that you wish you had less of, you know, kind of along those lines. Um, I would say a guy we talked about earlier, um, if I if I think of it in, in the inverse, when one guy that is performing well that I was scared off by was Trevor Bauer. And I think, you know, what I am probably, you talked about this a little bit earlier, Toby, what I am really uh, <laughs> prescient of doing is I remember all the people that burned me and I have this thing burned into my brain that I'm not going to own them ever again. <laughs> so Trevor Bauer, I think I was overcorrecting on where I thought he would be. And I honestly, I just kind of got nervous about him. So he's one that I don't have a lot um, that I'm probably surprised by because, you know, I was really high on him. I, I don't exactly know what was going on with him last year. Um, and, and I hope he keeps doing it because I think, you know, he, he did a great job, but he's certainly not underperforming. He is overperforming from that perspective. As far as somebody that's probably under underperforming, excuse me, um, from a pitcher perspective, I'm trying to think of any pitchers that I, uh, really had up my board. You know, honestly, um, I, it's easy to take the victory lap, but I really wasn't super excited about Verlander because of the playoff woes. And, and I just, something didn't feel right with him. Scherzer with the back, I was off of. So I'm trying to think quickly through my brain, kind of who, how I had people grouped. Um, I, I have, I have one. Okay. Uh, yeah. While, while you're thinking Steal about it. that, just oh, cause yeah. Yeah, I need to. I, I needed to rack my brain a little bit. So Robbie Ray is a guy mm. I think where, you know, and I'm kicking myself for doing this. Um, you know, in I my league, actually, him, and doing... I really wanted him because I saw a tweet that he said struck out oh. nine million people and walked no one. I was like, okay, I need Robbie Ray, and I got nothing of Robbie Ray. Totally, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I definitely saw that tweet. I bought into that. Um, you know, the projection actually don't love him, but I, I loved him. And actually, in the in the main that's doing really well, I, I drafted him. Um, so I had I, I drafted him in like at pick like 96 or 97 or something like that. And obviously, yeah. like, like there is some research that shows that guys who increase their K rate 
during spring training or have really good K minus walk rates during spring training. Some of that actually goes forward. I think, um, I want to say it's, uh, Mike Podhorzer at Van Graffs does that every year where, but, but what, what I think I, one thing I failed to realize is that it wasn't the same spring training, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't as long. We didn't get as good of a look. And we know now kind of that, I think a lot of hitters are a little bit behind where we maybe were thinking they were. Um, and so, so I bought in there and he's really hurt me a lot. And I think what's challenging about him is I, I have him in a bunch of, in in actually not a bunch of leagues, but like maybe three leagues. And what's challenging about him, I didn't start him this week because of the Astros matchup next week. He's got a two step, but his first game is at course. Yeah. Right. And so I can't start him there either. So now I've got this guy who I invested a ton of draft capital on hurt me already. I can't really drop because I know what the potential is. Yeah. But yet I I can't start him for two weeks and I'm missing a two step, you know, for that same reason. So what about um, are you worried at all about Mike Clevenger? Matthew and I debated Mike Clevenger versus Shane Bieber, and I actually took the Shane Bieber route. Are you worried at all about you had to invest a hefty pick on Clevenger and the results have not been great, including even though he picked up a win yesterday, his control was he's kind of all over the place. Is he one that you're surprised by? Again, it's early, but the reality is you can say it's early all you want. Twenty five percent of Mike Clevenger's starts are over for the year already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have Clevenger on any of my main teams. I had Bieber ahead of him, although he never really got to me at that point in time. Um, I do have him, I think in one OC, my concern with Clevenger, number one is injuries, right? He's, he's gotten injured. Um, last year it was the back, you know, obviously the spring training, he had a little bit of injury and that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, I, I guess that's not necessarily a great reason, but the difference I see between him and Verlander, who I was in on and who I did draft is just Verlander has been the best starting pitcher the last two years. Like he's the number one yeah. SP. So, you know, if he's healthy, that he's going to produce at that elite level, whereas Clevenger's never really put it all together. He's put yeah. it together in flashes. He was great last year, obviously, but only under over 126 innings pitched. And so I was a little bit concerned and also his velo was down towards the end of last year and it never really has gotten to that same level since he's been back as it was early on in the season. He was obviously really successful still, so it wasn't like I was out on him, but um, I'm a little concerned about that and I'm definitely concerned when I look at – when I look at some of the numbers. You know, I mean Mm -hmm. his swinging strike rate is down 3%. First pitch strike rate is down 5%. His end zone contact rate is up 9%. Um, yeah. He's not getting guys to chase on pitches outside the zone. K minus walk rate is 7.3%. And I, and he's actually had pretty weak matchups to begin yep. with too. I think he had two weak matchups to begin with. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. The velo is still low. He's just been really erratic to me that that's pointing to a lot of uh, that's, that's a lot of injury indicators um, yep. to me. And so I don't know if he's totally right, or at least that he's adjusted to be to, being totally right. But the thing about these things is we can think that thing and, and confirmation bias is a hell of a drug. So we can think that now and he puts together two elite starts and all of a yeah, sudden we're talking about how about he's better than Shane Bieber this year, you know? Yeah. No, uh, I, I'm with you there. All right. Our last question and then we'll let you go. Um, we've already talked about the legend Ariel Cohen, but he's got a question for you. And he said um, kind of overall the question I think is – what's your temperament in this 2020 season? 
And how much rope are you giving to either benching or cutting a player? And some examples I'll give you, one that I'm struggling with, Toby, is a guy like Shinsu Chu. He's one of my late outfield targets that I loved. He's been absolutely dreadful so far this year at the plate. You've got guys like Justin Upton, who to me looks like more of a cut because he may be in a platoon now with Brian Goodwin in the Angels outfield. Or you've probably got a guy like Gary Sanchez, who you had to invest significant draft capital into your earlier point, that now um, is really struggling, but part of a very dynamic offense. But if you were a Gary Sanchez drafter, his AD pick was at pick 78. So you were spending a seventh round pick to have Gary Sanchez. So walk us through maybe your thoughts on how are you thinking of those players um, probably it's a player by player situation, but do you see yourself reacting naturally one way or the other? Yeah. I mean, I think with all of these questions, everything, like I think every roster move you make is all needs to be placed in the context of your team and the player. And I apologize for the bot, the dog barking. Our neighbors got a new dog <laughs> and literally I think they keep it outside or something, but they must really like the dog then. Well, I don't know, but it'll bark at like two o'clock at night. Like it'll just like go off. And I'm just like, please. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's the dog you hear, you hear barking. It's no longer barking right now. Um, so um, so I think it, it all needs to be contextualized within the thing. So like giving the, some of the examples that you gave. So like Justin Upton is one guy who, you know, I think you number one need to dig into the player. Like, why are they doing poorly? Um, I, pu- I put out about like a joke about how. Justin Upton, he got hit by a pitch with the bases loaded and it knocked in a run today. And I was just joking about how that was probably like the best outcome you could hope for um, from him at this point in time. Right. But um, somebody on Twitter had a good point, which is that, you know, the metrics don't actually look that far off. So, you know, when I look at it, it's actually like, you know, he's hitting the ball in the air a good amount. He's hitting the ball as hard as he usually hits it. He's showing good plate discipline. The one area where he's down is with his contact skills, but it's only down 1% in his overall contact and 3% in the zone. You know, so he's probably adjusting like a lot of different guys. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's hitting a ton of fly balls, like 50% fly balls right now, but his line drive rate is also pretty low. And so that'll probably weigh itself out and he'll probably be similar to where he's been. And he's in a pretty good context. But what does concern me with Upton is that we know that he's now going to be platoon now that Joe Adele is up. So he's in the lineup today, but the reason why he was in there is because Adele had something wrong, like just a minor issue with, I think, a leg muscle, like a quad or something like that. And so and so with Upton, he's a guy that I'll think about dropping next time, partially because of that, but also because I think his skill set isn't one that's particularly unique. Right. Like he's not going to hit me high average. Yes, he'll hit me a decent amount of home runs and probably a decent amount of RBIs and maybe even some runs, but he's not really going to steal anymore. He hasn't shown that propensity recently with the knee injury and stuff like that. So a lot of what I can get from him, I feel like I can probably pick up on the wire. Sure. Um, You know, Gary Sanchez is a different story. I haven't dove deep into him, but like with Gary Sanchez, you're not going to be able to get a catcher that can provide remotely as much um, value as he can. And, and we know for a fact from Sanchez that like he can go on streaks where he just crushes, like he'll hit five home runs in a week and nobody will blink. Right. Like he'll just go, he'll go off. Um, and so it may just be an issue with adjusting. His contact rate is way up or is way down. Like he's striking out 53% of the time. Um, but I don't think that that's something that we're going to continue to see. I think it's adjustments that he has to make and I can't really replace him. So I'm not going to go with him. 
Um, like another example would be a guy who provides speed, right? Like maybe if I'm fine in speed, then I'd be willing to cut that guy. Although I'm always hesitant to put a guy like that on the wire, especially if they can be really good. Because so what I want, don't want to do is eat up the net, the bad side of guys and then watch them flourish. Sure. Right. And so and somebody else gets all the good stuff. So we're still dealing with super small sample sizes. It's hard to think about it, but tomorrow will be two full weeks with the league. Some teams have only played like what? seven games, you know? And so we're dealing with super small sample sizes. And I think the challenge is that, is that mentally what we're thinking is it's a short season, you know, I can't make this up, but in reality it's, yeah, you can't fall too far behind, but because it's a shorter season, the margins are smaller and one guy getting hot really quickly can dramatically change it. So with the example of like Gary Sanchez, so he's, he's had 30 plate appearances, you know, before today, he had a home run today. So, you know, including today he's had, well, I won't do today because I just can't figure out the at bats, but he's had 27 at bats and he's had two hits. So if he goes four for four tomorrow, you know, then he's six for 41 and all of a sudden my math is terrible. Um, I think that's like one. 150 or something like that. Six for 31. Yeah. Six for, a little bit. Yeah. Six for 30, six for 31. No, then he's batting like 200, right? Yep. yep. So all of a sudden he's batting 200. You feel better. So he puts together a couple of those games yep. or he has like three hit games in two out of three games. And you're looking at a guy who's hitting 230, right? Yep. Which is what you were kind of expecting from him. Yeah. And so yep. I think we have to be really cautious, especially with guys who have shown the talent before of moving off unless like the thing with Sanchez is he's so bad. He's batting eighth now, you know? So like a guy like who, who maybe isn't as good as Sanchez or who can't distinguish himself that much, but gets bumped down to eighth in the lineup who doesn't have some sort of unique skill set, I'd be more inclined to move on, but I think it's all contextual. Like if you need the categories that that guy gives you, and those are hard to get on the wire, yep. you kind of need to stick with them. If everything looks good under the hood, you know, there are guys out there right now who are struggling, who, whose, whose skills are actually better than they have been in previous yeah. years. Right. And those are the guys who are going to put together weeks that are going to lift you from 10th place to fifth place single handedly. Yep. Yeah. And you don't want to drop those guys. You yep. want to stick with them. So unless you have a reason to believe that a guy that you drafted either isn't going to perform or like with guys who you drafted late, like they're already replacement value, right. Yep. Based on the matchup that a guy has Absolutely. in a given week. So churn those guys. Don't worry about those guys. But unless they've shown some sort of skill growth that that, you know, that jumps out at you or are playing particularly well. Right. Or are moved up in the lineup. But like the other guys, like you kind of got to stick with them unless they're a guy like Upton who, you know, he was drafted around pick 230, 215. But his skill set isn't that unique. But even him, like I don't necessarily want to move away right away because I also know as a hitter, he's streaky as all hell. And I don't want to miss out. Like he's a guy who who each year has like an eight or nine home run month. Yep. You know, and and I don't want to miss that type of thing over the course of a couple weeks. No, I think it just becomes a fine line with Upton of are you waiting for that streak and it happens the last three days of the sixty game sprint. But your point, your point is totally valid. Unfortunately, I think I agree. Hitters seem to be still getting their feet wet or getting their feet under them a little bit. You know, guys like Christian Yelich who was given the gift of a home run today. Uh, which really wasn't a home run. Uh, I own JD Martinez, who has no home runs so far. I think those guys, uh, as my NFBC partner Brian Vogel says, those guys I think are going to be the guys on the back of their baseball card at some point in time. You just got to stick with them all probably a little bit longer. So totally. And one yeah. thing I do is like is is never, and I think this is actually where I made a mistake last week in Fab, 
was I'm normally pretty in deep in the numbers. And whenever I'm going to try to pick up a guy or whenever I'm going to drop a guy, I'm kind of doing a deep dive on him. Like not a huge deep dive, but maybe like spend five minutes just going through StatCast data, going through fan graphs and stuff like that. And I didn't do that with a lot of the guys that I did because I was just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of fab leagues that I had and just not having time to do it. Like I just wanted to make sure I didn't mess up majorly. But like that's what I would suggest you do with guys like a J.D. Davis or somebody like that is really like dive in because, you know, last year was a little bit of like the first time he'd put it together. Yep. So you may want to look at his stack cast metrics and you're like, ah, the exit velocity, 75th percentile, hard hit 73rd percentile, barrel 64th percentile. Okay. So he's hit, we know he's hit some barrels, right? And so then you may look down, oh, he's already hit two barrels. He doesn't have a home run. You know, normally about 60% of barrels or 50% of barrels end up as home runs. So really he should have you know, maybe one. And then you might look at his ground ball rate and things like that. So there's ways you can dive in to see whether guys are just getting really unlucky. And one thing I always do when I'm looking at my custom leaderboard that I create in fan graphs is look at something like, um, like with pitchers, look at strand rate or BABIP, home run per fly ball, things like that. And just see how out of whack they are with where they usually are, yeah. or where league average is. Similarly, we like with your hitters, look at, um, look at their BABIP, you know, and see if there's any change in actually the quality of contact that they're making um, take a look at their home run per fly ball rate. Like it may be that they've actually had three barrels that generally would give them two home runs and they just haven't had any because it's a small sample size. So we have the data available to us to be able to tell us that those types of things are happening. So it's just a matter of diving in and doing the work to figure out and make sure that you're, you're making the best decisions that you can, but also embracing the fact that we get these things wrong more often than we get them right. So you're going to be wrong. You're going to drop a guy that you don't necessarily, that ends up being good. It's going to happen. But what you got to do is just try to like, like make, you know, to, to, to quote frozen Two, having somebody who's, who's, who's two kids make the, <laughs> the, the next right choice, right? Yeah. Like day to day, week to week, move to move, try to make what you think is the best move for your team, for the context, for trying to win or do as best as you can. And if you do that on a regular basis, if your process is sound, then I think at the end of the, at the end, you just want to, you want to have made a positive impact yeah. with the way that you're managing fab and working it. And I think if you do it right and you have a sound process, I think that's something that, 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 that you do. No, I, 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 I couldn't add anything else because I think it was perfectly well said. Um, and that's a, that's a really good way of thinking about it. As long as you trust your process, um, at that point in time, hopefully you'll get the results and you kind of tweak your process over time, right? As you keep going. So Toby, thank you so much for being the first expert guest. Um, it's been fun chatting with you, interacting with you, quizzing you with questions. Um, we really appreciate all the time. You can follow Toby on Twitter. He's great. Please go follow him at that flip crazy. And Toby, do you have any future work or anything that you're working on podcast or written form that you'd like to showcase for the listeners? Uh, not really. I mean, first of all, I just want to say thank you to you, Matt, um, and, and to Matthew. I know he had to, he had to run. Um, but, um, yeah, I just really appreciate, I mean, being the first person on the, on the, on the show that you guys have invited, obviously like that, that means a great deal. And I really appreciate it. And I respect you both, both as, as players and the content you guys are creating. I was just saying beforehand, you guys have nine podcasts already, which is incredible. And I know <laughs> Matt puts out, Matthew puts out like a, um, a really valuable, you know, fab article that he does. And you guys do fab on your podcast as well. So definitely folks keep on listening. Cause this is great. I have my own podcast. I do um, every Sunday night with uh, Bubba from Bench with Bubba. 
Um, so we do that. We do a live stream and then we also put it up on podcast on our respective podcasts. I oftentimes, you know, in previous seasons, I've done a separate pod, like maybe once a week or just when I, when I feel the spurt of the moment, but with the number of leagues I have this year and just with family obligations and wanting to respect all of those different things, I just haven't had the time, Sure. but I'll often try to tweet that stuff out at Batflip crazy. So pay attention there, but I love talking fantasy baseball. So just having the opportunity to be on the pod and talk through these things is something I love. If listeners can't tell, I can talk for days. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate that. So check those things out. I also have a YouTube channel, just uh, search for Batflip crazy on YouTube and you'll find it. It's also in my profile for, um, for Batflip crazy, but yeah, I just really appreciate it. And best of luck to all of you guys doing your fantasy baseball stuff. Hopefully, uh, one thing I, I said was helpful. And, and, and if not, at least I was able to quote frozen two in the podcast, which has always <laughs> no. been a dream of mine. I can promise you that it was very valuable across the board. I think, you know, I, my, myself, as I continue to refine and learn my process, it was definitely interesting to get different perspectives. I think that's what kind of always makes us, you know, really good players. So that'll wrap things up for episode nine. Matthew and I'll be back um, Saturday evening or Sunday morning recording our weekly fab podcast. We'd love for you to check it out. Uh, kind of see where we're going. Um, you know, Matthew and I both write articles at respective sites. Uh, Matthew's for FTN, mine over at Number Fire on our weekly fab articles. So, uh, but this is kind of our way to check it out um, and, and get that jump as you're doing your bid. So Toby, thanks again. It was great chatting with you and we will talk with you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast with the two Mats. Please rate, subscribe, and review the podcast, and we hope you listen again soon.